Good morning. Are you excited? Here's my goal uh, over the next few sessions as you as you uh, begin to take notes. Remember, put this all in booklet form and listen closely. I, I want to take and I want to build or teach you the building of a youth ministry. How to take an existing youth ministry because some of you guys have will do that. Some of you guys are planning on that. Some of you will launch brand new stuff. Some of you get brought into things. And one of the things that since 1997, when we went on the road, uh, in 97, our youth ministry had exploded to hundreds and we were touching a city and, and God called us on the road. Uh, one of the things that God has never allowed me to lose is my passion for youth ministry. And I love it. That's why I go and do consulting. That's why I go and sit down with pastors and we, we build this dream. And youth ministry is a whole lot of work, a whole lot of vision, a whole lot of excitement, a whole lot of passion. And I don't believe that youth ministry should ever be a stepping stone. Some guys look at it as a stepping stone. You know, I'm going to do this for a while, a couple years, and I'm going to pastor. If that's the case, just go pastor, go associate pastor somewhere. Because I think youth ministry has to be a part of who you are. It's got to be your DNA. It's got to eat at you. It's got to burn inside of you. I could literally go into any youth ministry in America right now and, and do it again. I love it that much. I would never leave it. But I want to call this entire series Next Level Youth Ministry. And it's just basically... Uh, clinical studies, teaching. I'm not going to use a lot of scripture in this. This is all basic uh, uh, laboratory stuff, stuff that I challenge you to do. And I'm going to hit you with a whole lot of information, so you got to listen closely. And uh, I, I may use the white eraser board, but I don't know. But I want to start this off, as, and we're going to treat this as a vision and planning day. Let's treat this as if I was sitting with you and your youth ministry staff, And I was saying to you, this is what I want from you. We're going to have question and answer time. And again, this is going to take place over a period of time. But uh, I want to start this morning uh, or this afternoon by talking about 20 areas a youth pastor must always grow. Let me just give these to you because the Bible says I'm supposed to be blameless. It always amazes me, guys that morally fall. Because you can be a car salesman and cheat on your wife and go to work the next day. But in ministry, if we mess up, Everything's over. Your paycheck is over. None of it exists anymore. Your legacy stops. Oh, it can be restarted, but it's never what it could have been. And so that's why I'm so intense on integrity and honor. And we're going to get to the mechanics of youth ministry in just a moment. But let me give you 20 things that I wrote down that a youth pastor has to always grow in. And these are 20 areas that I have to grow in. Really, this is for any minister. Number one, your prayer life, your study life, and your planning. It also always amazes me that we think we can do this thing called ministry without a prayer life. You can't. Listen, you can go to all the conferences you want to. You can read all the books, all the manuals, listen to all the CDs, watch all the DVDs, uh, listen to the podcasts. But the fact of the matter is, without a prayer life, I mean, I can remember my early years of youth ministry where at 5.30 in the morning, I was walking across an orange grove to get to a church and I would have people meet me there and I would cry out to God for hours, use me, Lord. And there's been times where I've let that go. I got it back about two years ago. Two years ago, I just got back to that place where I was crying out to God like never before. But I, I think I had let it, I think I got too good for my, it, it's, it's our sermon, Saving Private You. When I open the door, uh, when, some, when Jesus is knocking on the door and I say, you know, I'm doing real well without you, that was me. You, you preach what you've been through. And sometimes you preach what you want to be, but you're more effective when you preach what you've been through. You preach out of your pain. 
You preach out of your victories. You preach out of your authority. You preach out of the things that you've conquered. That's what makes your ministry special. My every ministry is marked with something. Mine is marked with intimacy because God won't let me be a normal guy. He won't let me enjoy just doing leadership stuff. You'll notice once I write a leadership teaching like I did two weeks ago on authority, then all of a sudden uh, two weeks later, I do one on healing. He doesn't let me get stuck in the leadership rut. Because leadership ruts are are very um, it's very easy to um, get to that place where you. Well, this is what I'm good at. You should never be good. I'm going to talk about it in a moment, but you should always work against your strengths. Work on, you should be doing areas that you're not good at. Now what? What are you talking about? So your prayer life. Man, there's nothing worse than going to lay hands on somebody to pray fire over them or pray healing over them and know you personally have none of that inside of you. It's an embarrassing private moment. The scariest place you'll ever visit is your prayer closet. If you haven't been there in a while. Because there's cobwebs. And there's things crawling around that dark room. The greatest you will ever be is when you are consistently talking to God. That is your moment. It's that place. And uh, Study. Listen, most pastors don't study. Why do you think I write a sermon on healing two weeks ago or last or th- uh, a week ago, a week ago today? Because I had never wrote a sermon on healing. And I'm like, OK, why haven't I? Because maybe I was lazy in that area. That's why when you get a sermon from me and and you're looking over the notes, there's 50 scriptures in there. And you, you're getting the end result of 50 more that were cut out. Why? Because I don't want to get good at what I do. I want to strive. Paul never said he got he hit the mark. He said, I press towards it. The only time we're going to arrive is when we walk into heaven. Most of us think we've arrived. We haven't even left the driveway yet. Because there's other levels. Let me give you an example. God's always changing me as a husband. I've got where every night I go and fold Karen's covers down for her. That's no big deal. She puts 40 pillows on the bed. It drives me crazy. I mean, it's like, what in the world? Seriously, you can't see the mattress. Just pillows, pillows, just pillows, just like a cloud. But you know what? I've got where I do this every night for when I'm home. I go and remove all the pillows and fold her covers down. A minute ago, I was driving through the neighborhood, and all of a sudden, uh, she pulled up. I was on the phone with Nate, checking on him. And uh, and all of a sudden, Karen pulls past me, and I slam on the brakes, and we back up. And I said, hey, what are you doing? She says, I'm going to unload all the groceries. And, and I said, I said, okay, I got halfway down the road, went and dropped off the dry cleaning, was heading to come meet with you, and God said, turn around and go unload those groceries for her. Because I don't know if you know my wife, but she don't like to get wet. She don't like rain. Rain's bad. It messes with that spray. (laughs) So how many of you know a brother just scored some points when I come pulling back in the driveway and went, hey, 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 I got this, baby. You know what I'm saying? They're going to have a good supper tonight. See, what you got to understand is I'm about taking care of her. I wasn't that way when we first went into ministry. When I first went into ministry, it was all about me. I'm the preacher man. You know what? For years, because Karen wasn't raised in ministry, I thought I drug her. I thought she was walking in my favor. I was raising this. And then, man, about two years ago, God said, all these years you thought that Karen has been walking in your blessing, but you've been walking in her purity. 
all the stuff, all the doors God opens up for us all over the world. He said, she did it. You didn't. See, you're never going to be anointed to you can wash your spouse's feet and truly want them to be blessed more than you. So prayer life, study life, planning. Most leaders aren't organized. They don't they don't sit down and plan out their day. They're just it's just, you know, most youth pastors. They, let me give you a youth pastor, an average youth pastor's day. He walks into the office. That's make sure he tops and talks to everybody, all the all the all the people that work there. Goes through his mail. Checks a few websites, see if there's anything new on there. See what Doug Fields is doing out in California. See if Jeannie's added anything to hers. Then they sit there and they, they you know what, I need, to, I, need to, I need to call a couple youth pastors. See what they're doing today. So they talk for a while, they cut up and act stupid. Say gross things. Then they go to lunch. Hey, let's meet for lunch. And then they get back to the office after, you know, hour and a half lunch of dreaming how to touch a city. Most people dream and never do. They finally get back to the office and they go, okay, what do I need to do? Um, man, I need to write a card to so-and-so. Maybe I, maybe I uh, send an email to a couple people, make sure that we're ready for the next uh, whatever. And uh, maybe I can call and see what T-shirts will cost to order and maybe get some ideas. Then we'll work on that. And, and then they, and it's about 3 o'clock. Well, i got a softball game tonight, so I, I better go get some rest. i got to be fresh for those kids. And, and they never accomplish anything. And that's their, that's their schedule. Instead of daily dreaming out. I'll walk you through my schedule as a youth pastor. It's ingrained in me. I can tell you my schedule as a youth pastor and it would blow your mind. But now on the other side of that, it took me a few years to realize I need to be a dad too. And when you're running hundreds and hundreds of students, and this is before cell phones, so your home phone rings like crazy. It's before email. So everybody wants to get to know you. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants they just swing by your house. I got to a place where I had to park my cars in the backyard, turn the lights off, and act like we weren't home to protect my house. I had to stand up in front of 100 students and say, don't call me after 9 o'clock. That whole 9 o'clock rule I have for the school of ministry is not new. 9 o'clock's always been my rule. Because it came to a place where it owned me. And sometimes when you see a guy lose his position or a girl lose their position in the church, it's not because they weren't doing a good job. God just has to put them in detox because ministry is a drug. And you can overdose. And they'll find you dead laying in some apartment somewhere. So so let me give you, again, n- number one, 20 years of youth ministry, prayer life, study life, planning. Number two, personal relationships. Talking about your spouse, your children, and friends. My kids need never need to hear me preach at home. My kids needed to know that everything I preached at church, I lived at home. Karen needs to know that, that, that no one can capture my attention. The greatest, the greatest, uh, uh, affection I need in my life is my wife and what she needs. So Sunday morning after she spoke at the summit, man, I was on that phone talking to her. How'd it go, baby? Tell me about it. Then you know what I did? I listened to her sermon last night. It's an incredible word. People were shouting. Especially when she started, about, started talking about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and all that. I mean, that's just crazy fire. Listen to me. I had to learn. For years, I treated Karen like she was my little statue, my beautiful little statue, and put her up there, and she was my bragging point instead of becoming my partner, my best friend. What about friendships in in youth ministry? You have to have friendships outside your church. Trust me. I'm going to say something boldly to you. There is no one you can trust in your church. 
And there's no one you should expect to have to carry the load of a burden you put on them in your church. Because after you leave, it could cause them. Because I don't care what you say, you'll never work for a perfect man. You'll never be on staff at a perfect church. And there's always going to be issues. So you've got to have people that you can call outside that you can trust. Number three, have fun in ministry. Golly, we get to have fun. We don't, we don't work in a strip mine running a bulldozer every day. We get to go. Now, it's a, it's a hard life we have. The toughest thing we don't get to do is clock in. We don't get to go. We don't have a spreadsheet at the end of the day. This is how many sales I made. So instead, you've got to make sure ministry is fun. Ministry's got to stay fun or get out of it. Number four, mentorship. Have coaches in your life. Who can you call? I just had three youth pastors that were eating lunch in Houston that just called me. That's who I was talking to when I pulled up out there that said, we want you to know you're the guy we can call. And we started talking about integrity. And they started asking me questions. They're eating at a restaurant asking me questions. One of them's your youth pastor. Great men. I love these boys. I said, I wish you were here today because I'm teaching and pouring into to, to folks. I wish you were here because I would love to, for you to be here with me. And they got excited about this series that I'm launching today. Next Level Youth Ministry. So, so have coaches in your life. I can call Glenn Berto at any time. I can call Jim Hennessy at any moment. Paul Owens at any moment. Some of these guys are not only my friends, but they're also mentors at times. We feed each other. Paul Owens was walking through something very intense this week, this last week at his church. So I gave him, this is what I would do, Paul. This is how I would handle that particular person. We feed each other, but also my dad. I went and ate lunch with my dad on the way to Mississippi on Friday. He's my best friend. He poured into me. We laughed together. We made fun of family members. See what I'm saying? Number five in youth ministry. This is something we forget. Stretch past your personal gifts. Stretch past the personal giftings. If you're a great preacher, you're probably great at, uh, you're probably great at a lot of things, but you're probably horrible at organization. Most great preachers better have some people around them. Because there's a lot of great preachers pastoring churches of 15. But because they're not organized, they can't take their ministry to the next level. It's me at my first church that was about 2,000 people in Indianapolis. And my pastor brought me in and said, you are a phenomenal communicator. You're my favorite person to have preach on Sunday night. There's 12 pastors on staff, but I've got to fire you today. And I said, why? He said, because you don't keep your word, because you're not organized. He made me go sit with a millionaire once a week for a year. And he said, if I missed one appointment, I'd be fired. I sat with a millionaire that owned businesses all over the city of Indianapolis, poured into me for, taught me the seven uh Laws of highly effective people taught me, made me learn how to use the Franklin plan, how to do a project board, taught me how to plan out things because I was gifted at speaking, but I stunk at organization. So I made a lot of promises I couldn't keep. And it wasn't because I wasn't a man of my word. It's because I couldn't I couldn't write, I couldn't sign the check I had written. There wasn't enough in the account. So I had to go back to school as a youth pastor at a church of 2000. Why? Because I, I, I didn't get it. So, so find the people that will coach you in your life. And, that, and then also, you know, stretch past your personal giftings. And then number six, see the big picture. You're not in competition with others. When I used to go to staff meetings, I worked at two churches of 2,000 or more. And I would go in and I was always competing for the affection of the pastor. And that's actually a father issue that you've got to work past. That's why I'm writing on that. I'm working on that in my book right now. 
because I would sit there and I wanted him to go, way to go, Pat. You had 700 Wednesday night. Isn't it amazing how we always have 700? Nobody have 659? It's amazing how we lie in ministry. And that pastor would sit there and then all the other staff, and I'd overwhelm them. We're doing this, 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 this week. And the other guys who were more mature in ministry, or maybe they were either more mature and so knew how to guard their time better, or maybe had lost vision, would get mad at me. So all the pastors were mad at me. Until I learned to just stop trying to prove something. I didn't have to fight for the vans for my event. I learned to work with other people and make other people important. I was cutthroat. I would cut your legs out from underneath me if you worked in another ministry. And I felt like it was getting away because I felt like my ministry was the most important one in the church. You need to feel that way. But you don't let it need to own you. Man, our ministry's doing it. Live, eat, breathe, drink your ministry, but at the same time. Not at the expense of others getting hurt. You get what I'm saying? Especially when you work on a large staff and the Christmas production owns the building for the whole month of November, December. Or the Easter production owns it for March and April. You better learn how to work with other ministries and learn how to let their ministries help you build. See what I'm saying? Stretch past your your personal gifts. See the big picture. You're not in competition with others. Number seven, develop an identity that lasts. Ask yourself, what identity 10 years from now will I have? And work towards it if it's a good identity. My identity is that of a mentor, a discipler, and a preacher. That's what I'm known for all over America. That's what Karen is known for. That's why we have all these meetings lined up over the next couple of weeks of doing nothing but consulting. I'm consulting tomorrow, consulting next week in Dallas. Why? Because... We've developed, and you know what? They didn't call me a year after I ran uh, my first, you know, 500. They never called me. Why? Did, I wanted them to. And by the way, when you want them to call you, they won't. When you don't, they will. They never called me when I was running those big numbers because I had not developed an identity yet. I had developed numbers. Identity is a long-term process. Who? What will they say about you? Should something tragic happen to you and your life end short, what will your epitaph be? What does the dash between the numbers on the tombstone represent? You know what mine says? Father. That's it. That's what I want mine to say. Father. Poured into those that weren't even his own kids. That's my epitaph. Now, if you'd have told me. Uh, in 1997, when I was Mr. Happening Youth Guy speaking all over America, my, my, my epitaph, no, it, back then it was communicator, idea guy, illustrated sermon guy. Then it moved from that to intimacy guy that wanted to see a generation on their face. Now, it's the broad picture of dad. I just want to be a dad. I want to, I want to be able to tell you, uh, I'm praying for you when you send me an email about your family. I want to be able to say, hey, let's do this. I, I want to know when your power is out. Make sure you don't turn any, leave any candles on was the first thing I thought. See, it's that, that anointing that it, it changes. It's that next level. The power thing, huh? Somebody, y'all, y'all put the power out. You just turn, didn't turn the stove off. That's what it was anyway. Let's move on. But see the big picture. Develop an identity. Number eight, give the vision away. The greatest thing you can ever learn in youth ministry is raise up those you can trust with your mantle. Give the vision away. Tomorrow I'm going to a meeting and I'm giving away three books that took years to write, a decade to write. 
We give it away. Because if I give it away, then I'll get blessed for it. In other words, raise up leaders around your youth ministry that you just say, go do it. If they mess up, don't leave them on their own. That's the worst thing you could do. Coach them through it. And even when you don't know what you're talking about, act like you do. They don't know. Somebody comes to you and says, I want to start this ministry right here within the youth ministry. Okay, cool. Let me give you some ideas I've got. Don't act like you don't know. Make them up. It might work. Something might stick. Live your life giving your vision away. And and getting excited when those you raised up pass you. Get excited. Remember two years ago, uh, I got a call from North Dakota District. I'm like, oh, great. They're going to want me to do camp. No. She wanted the numbers to all the guys I'd raised up. She booked three of my guys for youth camps. And I'm going, all right. That's neat. So she did. She booked three. Jeremy, Danny, and uh, Abner for the camps. Three guys that had come out of our ministry. And But you know what I did? I shouted with her. I got excited with her. And then the next year, I got invited back. She said, I want to I talk to your, to, to your Davids that you found in the field. Give the vision away. Number nine, know your season. There are about five different seasons in youth ministry. And I believe that I believe this with all my heart. The five seasons that you have in youth ministry is the early season, the first season. It's where you're just green and you just show up at everything and you just want to help and you actually enjoy hospital visits and and uh you just you got such a heart to serve and you're excited when when a new kid comes in. Don't ever lose that excitement, by the way. It's easy to when your numbers get big and and you hurt for that little 15 year old girl that's pregnant and you 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 get mad about things and you're green so that gets you in trouble that's the early season then there's the next season where you become more mature and usually at this point you you have children yourself and so you begin to look at students differently and 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 you're still fun you're still that guy and then the third season is where you become the mature speaker the you know or and communicator you can bring it and the church really looks at you for help and and people lean on you in the church and the next season that fourth season in youth ministry is and most guys don't make it to this point it's but it's that season where where you, you want to give it away you want to raise up it's not about you anymore being on stage and yet when you get on stage you can still bring it and then the fifth season is, is a genie mayo season it's um um it's the uh place where you just go you know i i just want to i just want to be used by god You've so gotten good at everything you do, but it still is about who can I disciple today? Those seasons, then there's seasons where the good seasons, the bad seasons, and Karen teaches on that. The, the seasons where you don't, you're not having fun anymore. The seasons where you're being attacked and somebody's telling you you're a horrible youth pastor or maybe you're working for, there's seasons all through. You just got to define there's stormy seasons. There's fall seasons. There's the spring season where you start a new ministry someplace and the winter season where it seems cold and you're just maintaining. And then there's that summer season. It's when, it's when you're having fun again. And, and so you got to watch, know your season and, and don't fight your season. And, and then number 10, schedule. Most youth pastors don't understand schedule. Get organized. It's back to that again. I want to talk about planning. 
schedule. Then number 11, most leaders don't learn this to about five years or ten years into their marriage, but spouse and corporation. The hardest job in America is that of a youth pastor's spouse because they usually hear everything secondhand and they have to share their family with everybody and they get pulled on and you got kids that say dumb things to them and and especially uh, I'll use uh, as a man I'll use my wife and when Nate was a baby when Nate was little she felt she was working Nate Karen was working trying to keep her house and they had to show up at events and she just stayed weary and exhausted and and it wasn't until later on that I pushed her out Karen didn't have, Sunday what you saw is the end result of a whole lot of pushing when she got up and brought it like that you don't understand where she's come from Karen was so shy when we got married she wouldn't look anybody in the eyes you got to understand, the maddest she ever got me, when she found out when I was a youth pastor, we planned a luau for her girls because she had theta pi, which means godly young women in the Greek. It's something that she did uh, for all her girls because fraternities were big in the high schools in Decatur. And I had Timothy Club, which was the training of young men that would preach the gospel, that which eventually became Gideon's Army when I went on the road and then became forward to school. You are Timothy Club. And But the maddest Karen ever got at me was the time that I came home and I said, oh, by the way, you're speaking at the luau. And she had never publicly spoke. She was so mad, but I helped her. She got through it, and now she speaks all over America. But it took me a few years to learn spouse and corporation. It isn't me, the star on stage. Um, here's a big one, number 12. Invade your insecurities. Invade your insecurities. Invade the thing that makes you the most nervous. Can I be straight up with you? I was Mr. Uh, goofy, popular in high school. But when I first started youth pastoring, we'd go to eat lunch at a school every day or would show up to speak at a Bible club every morning. Um, man, there was, there's nothing more scary for a youth pastor to walk for that front, go to the office, sign in, get your little tag, make your way to the lunchroom, and just hope some kids are going to say hi and not be ashamed of you. You better invade your insecurities. You will always battle your insecurities. My years of dealing with the failure of spirit, you've heard me teach on that. That was insecurity, which is pride, and pride makes God mad. Invade your insecurities. Always work against your insecurities. Put your flesh in a place where it has to burn all the time. Okay, under that, develop the ones you are not. Develop the ones you are not. I just wanted to go after athletes. I just wanted to go after the gregarious, the funny but I had to go after those kids. There's one that's a scientist for NASA today. Another one's a doctor. I went after, I, I made sure I went after the kids that I didn't understand their world. I had to go after the kid that just wanted to play video games because that's not me. Skaters, they're the weirdest kids you'll ever meet in your life. But I, they just want to hang out, talk, and try to kill themselves. I didn't understand grunge. I didn't. I didn't understand scene. I didn't. But I. But I mean, here's the deal. I, I, I'm not emo. I tried to wear a pair of those uh, jeans one time, and I looked like a hippopotamus in pantyhose. I, I can't. I, I. I. I can't. I can't look like that. I can't be that guy. I didn't like my. I don't like my hair in my eyes. It makes me mad. So it was easy for me to hang out with football players and baseball players and and athletes and cheerleaders. But you know what I found? I built was a whole cocky youth ministry because I didn't go after the other kids. 
So go after kids you're not. Build a back row youth ministry. That should be your number one rule. Build a back row youth ministry. And meaning, get kids to the back row. Your goal is to get them up front and start over and get some more in the back row that come in. And then work them to the front. And eventually, your kids that used to be in the back are now in the front. And eventually, your whole sanctuary is full of kids that used to be back row kids that are now on fire. Never judge a student, by the way, by the way they look at you while you're preaching. You don't know what they're going through. And they may look like they're blowing you off and they're just talking or they're cutting up or whatever. And they're sitting back there. But there's something hitting that kid in the mouth. And that's usually the kid that catches you at the back door on your way home. Can we can we talk? I heard what you said. Can we talk? So the developed ones you're not. Be a representation of your leader you work for without being that leader. I go to some churches, and the pastor will walk on stage, and I'll look down the front row where all his staff is, and they all try to look like him. They all try to walk like him. They all try to talk like him. They all try to have his personality. And it's like, are you serious? Hey, clones. Zombies. Be you. Yeah, be cool. If your pastor's cool. I only work for one man. I'm meeting with him tomorrow that I would actually want to look like or dress like. He was cool. I'll never forget, I would try to be him for, for the, 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 the for, for, for years, uh, when I would work for him, he, when he would preach, he would point his, his index finger when he's preaching, but also, it almost looked like he's doing hook em horns, he, he would hold out, he would hold out his, his pinky finger. So when I'd preach, I'd do the same thing. Well then I found out he had been in a car accident years before that and cut the tendon to that finger, and that's, that finger won't bend. But I thought that's what he had to do. I'm hook him. I'm hooking you. I'm hooking. I'm going to hook you. Down with the longhorns. Down with them. And so, but I mean, I thought it was, that's, I mean, I'd be preaching. I'd do like that. And Karen would go, why do you hold your middle, your baby finger out like pastor? I said, because I want to be him. Listen, work for the man. Catch the spirit of the man. But be you. Number 15, purity. I don't have to say a lot about that. You don't have the right to look at sin, and it will catch up with you. Be, sure, be for sure, it will catch you up with you. And if you, if nobody knows of the sin you're doing, I'll just, I'll just meet your students in your youth ministry, because they will reflect you. You're, you're passing your disease on to them. If you have sin in their life, so will they. If all these kids start coming up to you and they start talking about their thought life, you better go check in the mirror. You better check in the mirror. If your kids are all rebellious, then when I hang out with you, I'll figure out you are too. You give away that spirit the longer you're with them. Any guy that morally falls, all I got to do is go sit down with every kid in his youth ministry and say, how many of you also are struggling with secret sin? And they'll all raise their hands. Any guy that's or girl that's, that's doing something in secret, it's in their group, it's in their children, it's in their family. It's what Samuel said to David when he said, David exposed David's sin with Bathsheba. And he said, what you are doing in private, your children will now do in public and embarrass you with. Because the next generation always takes sin to the next level. See what I'm saying? Finances. Most youth pastors have no concept of a 401k, a Roth IRA account. They have no concept of how to start saving money. They have no concept of how to how to do a budget. You need to take a budget course because when you walk into your pastor's office and said, I want to do this big event, you've got to be able to present to him three different plans, finances, numbers, what you're expecting, what it's going to cost you. You better take a financial course. Or else you and the administrator of that church are going to be at war. 
all the time. Trust me, I know. Number 17, after finances, keep a heart for the call of God. It's real easy when you get tired to look at the grass on the other side of the fence and say, you know what, man, I can go do sales. I've never met a person who left the ministry that wasn't miserable. Trust me, once he kisses you, God's gift, Romans eleven twenty nine. the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. Once God puts his mantle on you, you cannot walk away from it. Romans eleven twenty nine. Keep a heart for the call. How do you get a, keep a heart for the call? Do missions, do outreach. That keeps your heart. Because teenagers and parents and people will wear you out. And Sunday morning mundane will wear you out. But you've got to get out and go somewhere. Hunger for the lost. It's real easy to get your 30 church kids and never think about the lost. So number 18, hunger for the lost. Number 19, learn to do entrepreneurial planning. Entrepreneurial planning, what is that? Man, figure out ways. You know what? I was selling my tapes as a youth pastor for a dollar. I was making them myself, my tapes on the back table. Then the church found out and I had to give all the money back to them, but it's not important. And so, but I had, I've always had an entrepreneurial planning mentality. You've got to learn to be able to PR yourself without PRing yourself. It's what I tell youth pastors, what I told a young man that graduated from our school a few years ago that's ready to go to another church. I told him, I said, you should, this is two days ago on the phone, talk to him, driving home Sunday from Mississippi. I said, you need to have your resume always updated every six months. Keep it updated. Keep it fresh. And you should always have your best messages packaged and ready to go that if a church calls you and says, we want you here and God's trying to graduate you to another level, you're ready to go. You should always have that. Keep your messages. Put them on podcast. Do you believe in your message? If you don't, nobody else will. Why do you think I'm so intense about every time Karen and I write a new message? Get it on podcast immediately. Not only that, I love the fact that people could get healed listening to my healing message. Or Karen's message on it ain't over. There was a lady here Sunday morning that, that Facebook Karen. We have no idea who she is. She Facebook Karen. She said, I have not been to church in months. I was done with it. And I showed up. And the first thing you said to me was, it ain't over. That's what it's about. And then 20, number 20 on the rules of youth ministry. Constantly clean the house. What areas need to be cleaned out in the ministry, in your own home, in your own why do you think I, a few weeks ago I threw away tons of books and tons of stuff? I threw away stuff this morning. Went through some of my stuff that was down in my bookshelf and started throwing it away. I'm cleaning house. I got new stuff coming. I'm constantly cleaning house. But that's just in your personal life, in your ministry. Hey, one of the hardest things I ever did was our youth ministry had about 100 students in it. It was a large church, a couple thousand. But everybody was just church brats. That's what I called them. Church mice, they get into everything, and they always leave droppings. And I'll never forget, I went on a 21-day fast, Daniel 10 fast, and God said, kick out half your youth ministry. Because these kids were, I mean, they're crazy stuff, sex, drugs, and the youth. I mean, if you wanted to buy drugs, you just came to our youth group. You want to have sex with somebody? Our girls were ready. Show up. We'll leave afterward. 
I'm not joking. It was bad. And I went on a 21-day fast, and God said, and he said, now, Pat, they're going to hate you for a while. So actually, we're running 200 students. We dropped down to 100 immediately. And over the next six months, I took that 100, and we started Timothy Club and Theta Pi, and we began to disciple we began to pray together, began to cry out to God. We changed our services from fun commercial events and fun goofy games and all the cool stuff that Youth Specialties was telling me to do. And we started having crying out times to God. We exploded to hundreds. And those kids that I had kicked out and their parents hated me, they tried to get me fired. They, I mean, they petitioned, wanted me gone. Those kids all came back in and some of them got a hold of God finally. But you have to prune. You have to prune. I'm not, give, I'm not telling you to go kick somebody out. I mean, this was a period of time where they had just did a choir ministry trip because it was all about fine arts. And I found out crazy stuff happened on this trip. And, and I just you're out. Go sit with your parents on Wednesday night. You're not sitting with me. Boy, I mean, I, kicked, I stopped our inner city buses from running on the same night. Because those kids were coming in and they were dominating. There was, you know, 30 students from the inner city that we'd bus in from four different locations. And they were dominating the, the crowd, loud, obnoxious, showing up. I mean, I had a kid walking at me with a gun one night, pointed it right at my head. I, I chased him outside. He pointed the gun at my, a 9 millimeter at my forehead. He's dead now. He went to jail and died. But he pointed a 9 millimeter at my head. And I looked at him and I said, to be absent from the body is to be with Christ. Go ahead, pop me. At that moment. There was 150 kids gathered around me, and I said, shoot me. Do it. Or put the gun down. Karen will tell you this happened. She was so angry at me. I told a, I told a kid to shoot me. He dropped the gun, started weeping. Cops pulled up and arrested him. But my youth ministry changed that night because they saw who their pastor was. I was willing to die for my call. I was like, do it. Pop me. That's what I said to him. Pop me. He had his gun like this. I pointed at my forehead. I said, pop me. Go ahead. Pop me. Take me. Karen will tell you that really happened. You preach all over the world, Pat. Why don't you tell that story very often? Because I don't ever want to give youth pastors an opportunity to get killed. But it was a moment I didn't plan on. It happened. Another kid raised his fist to me. I was a big old kid. I said, do it. Let's go. But you got to understand. I've never, even though I've changed and the evolution of Pat has changed as a youth pastor, I've never lost my fire, my faith. I knew that kid wasn't going to pop me. God wasn't done with me. But every student that was watching this kid who was a gangster pointing a gun at my forehead, and they're all back up. You know what students do? And I said, do it. I said, do it. Or drop the gun. Stand in there and start shaking. Dropped it. Cops come flying up. Somebody called the police. When I walked through that crowd, the crowd spread. And as I walked, I heard kids call and saying, that's my pastor. Because I was willing to lose my life for theirs. So what you got to understand today, these 20 things I give you, 20, 20 guidelines for youth ministry, for the personal life of youth pastor, how to stay fresh. Let me add 21. Serve your pastor at the height of our youth ministry running hundreds I was still cutting my pastor's grass on Saturday mornings 
because he had allergies so bad. So did I. But I was there to serve him. And, and then let's give 22. The kid that don't look like much, the kid that everybody else ignores, the quiet one, he may be your diamond that's going to change the world. Just remember that. Let me give you 23. Youth ministry is never about you. You, When did youth ministry start? You never heard of the term youth pastor until the early 80s. It was in the 70s. When the kids, that were moms and dads that were from the 60s that made love and not war and were partying and doing drugs and the infiltration of drugs and sex and just do your own thing, no boundaries, nobody has the right to tell me anything. When they started having their children and because they had sowed seeds, suddenly churches were out of control because they didn't know how to be parents. So suddenly, the end of the, the late 70s, the early 80s, is when we start having the term youth pastor because that's when the divorce rate was at its peak and dads were leaving and kids had nobody that's when youth pastor and children's pastor came on strong before that it was just volunteer people from the church so you're part of a legacy that has not existed that long so nobody's figured out the blueprint for it you got it so today I will tell you that if you're going to go into youth ministry Just listen to these guidelines I just gave you. Watch what God does. It'll explode. Amen? Let's give God a praise offering.